This is the intersection of faith and the culture. It's Wall Builders, where we take on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Thankful for you joining us today on the program. Appreciate you listening in all the time, but also encourage you to visit our websites. That's where you'll get a wealth of information, a lot of great materials at both websites, and not only just news of the day from that biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective, but all kinds of programs that dive deeper into the issues where you can get Constitution classes, you can get uh, programs like Foundations of Freedom. Maybe you listen on our Thursday programs to Foundation of Freedom Thursday, and you'd like to dive even deeper into those issues. Well, there's a a really cool television series that we did a few years back with Michelle Bachman and Carol Swaim and Glenn Beck and a whole lot of other people uh, that came on that program. That's available at the websites as well. So be sure to check out wallbuilders.com today, and then also our radio site, wallbuilderslive.com. Com. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach and a former Texas legislator, normally here with David and Tim Barton. David, of course, America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders. Tim, national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. Uh, but today we're actually going to go talk to Barry Loudermilk. He's a congressman that's a great friend to Wall Builders, been with us many, many times on the program and our uh, legislators conference uh, for years. In fact, he was a state senator out of, out of Georgia before he was a congressman, now a congressman from Georgia. And uh, just one of the good guys for sure, solid, solid, conservative, biblical worldview guy. And uh, and we're going to get a chance to visit with him as a part of my new show, The Tavern. So this is actually part of that extended interview that we do with uh, Congressman Loudermilk in The Tavern. If you haven't had a chance to see The Tavern, be sure to check that out at patriotacademy.tv. That's patriotacademy.tv. And there on that uh, streaming service, you can watch The Tavern. That's my show where, you know, we basically, uh, it's like the old taverns of uh, the revolutionary period. We get in there and we talk about what's going on, talk about uh, the principles of liberty, how to preserve those, how to restore them, uh, what are good strategies and tactics for being able to make a difference in the culture right now. And um, and that show is actually going to provide us opportunities to talk to a lot of uh, people and uh, bring pieces of that here to our Wobblers radio program as well. And uh, that's what we're going to do today. We'll get a part of that uh, time that I had a chance to spend with Congressman Loudermilk just a few days ago in the tavern. Here's Congressman Barry Loudermilk, former state legislator and a good friend to all patriots in the country that want to restore the Constitution. He's been teaching on that with his family for many years, probably as long as the Green family. Anyway, Congressman Barry Loudermilk, good to see you, brother. You too, Rick. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Yeah. And, you know, face to face as well. I know it. I wish we were actually sitting in one of those old taverns, you know, and could put on our tricorn hats and find a mug of coffee or whatever and uh and talk about how to how to save the country. But man, you're you're hard at work. Thank you so much for, for taking time. I know you're on the middle of it in uh in DC and thank you for being willing to go to DC. I've told you this before. I mean I wouldn't want to be there for anything. And the fact that you're you're willing to go to the swamp and, and do everything you can uh, to save liberty in this country, um, that alone is laudable. So thank you, brother. Um, man, I, I got to start by just asking you this assignment that you've been given uh, to chair this subcommittee that is investigating the whole J6 thing and how it was handled. Tell us what the committee's called. And, and, and th- I mean, this is a serious assignment. And a lot of us, you know, we can complain about what, what happened and how people are being treated across the country, but we can't do much about it. You guys are really digging in right now, and you found found a lot. But just kind of back up and, and tell us what the how the committee works, and what what do you call it, and what's a subcommittee versus a regular committee. Yeah. Kind of help us understand the inter, inside baseball a little bit. I've been on House Administration Committee for about eight years now, 
I am the senior member on that committee. Um, but never before has the committee had an oversight subcommittee. It's always been a fairly small committee. Uh, Speaker McCarthy decided to enlarge the committee, bring more members into it, and also create a subcommittee um, for oversight. Now, we fall under the jurisdiction of the House Administration Committee. The The chairman is selected instead of by the, um, the, the uh, steering committee, it's actually appointed by the speaker. So the chairman of the full committee is appointed by the speaker. When he met with me, he wanted me to actually chair this subcommittee, but is going to work directly for him. And that is to investigate what really happened on January 6th and the January 6th select committee. That was also a special committee that was put up by Pelosi. And so we fall under the jurisdictional boundaries of House administration, which means anything that happened on Capitol Hill on January 6th or anything associated with it is in our jurisdiction. I mean, that makes, that makes sense because it's admin over the, the grounds, right? And it's right. whatever happened that right. day on January 6th on the grounds makes sense. But then your uh, subcommittee is is specifically looking into both, if I heard you right, uh, both January 6th, what happened that day, right. but also how the, you know, what was, I think most people saw was a very biased uh, uh, January 6th investigation that Nancy Pelosi did where she didn't even allow for right. the Republicans that the Republicans won another committee. I mean, it was awful. Anyway, but you guys are also looking into how they handled it and what right. was done there. Exactly. It is, since the select committee is an operation of the House, it's under our jurisdiction. What's not under our jurisdiction is investigating the FBI, but the involvement of FBI on January 6th is within the jurisdiction, which means I work with Jim Jordan closely, right? Yeah. We share information. Yeah. We work together. The the uh, January 6th defendants who were in the D.C. jail is not in our jurisdiction. That's in the jurisdiction of the Committee on Oversight, which has the jurisdiction of Washington, D.C., uh, the greater city or, you know, the district. So, but I work with Jamie Comer on that. So it helps in defining uh, where our guardrails are. See, I, now, I can't, I can't believe you still have hair, man. I would have already pulled all of my hair out with a little <laughs> bit I have left. Just understanding all of that right there. Right. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Well, and, and those guardrails actually help to define what sure. are we to focus. Now, yeah. And I what can you I, actually I, do? Yeah. I'm working, uh, we're looking into the Department of Defense, even though that's a Armed Services Committee issue, but because they were involved in making the decision to not send National Guard troops in January, on January 6th, that also brings them in. So I've got Homeland Security, FBI, the Department of Justice, um, DEA, everyone who is involved now has, we have some level of responsibility at least to obtain information. Yeah. And that's been part of the, the challenge. Uh, one is being a subcommittee. I'm, uh, we've been dealing with a limited amount of staff. Speaker McCarthy was giving us more dedicated staff. And so um, we, we've gotten more people right now than we've had before because of the, the tremendous uh, accomplishments or things that we've, the advancements we've made in this, in this committee. Some of the challenges though, is you have a select committee that no longer exists. Uh, it's been disbanded talking about the January 6th select committee who we have uncovered that did not keep all the documents. In fact, they sent documents to the white house and Homeland security, apparently to keep us from getting them. Really? And so we started from scratch with just 
uh, boxes of documents that were not in any particular order. They were, they were not indexed. We got no database. We got a couple of hard drives full of data. It, and what we expected to receive from the committee is an organized database with everything that they had, their communications. That's what is supposed to be kept according to law because they're house records, house documents, and they were ordered under the house rules to preserve those documents and hand them over to my committee. Um, documents were handed over, but not all the documents. It took us quite a while to find out, well, we don't have everything and then start identifying what we don't have. And so a lot of our, our, uh, initial work has been identifying what documents we have. We do have access to 44,000 hours of, of surveillance video. 44, I thought it was 14,000. It's 44,000. So did everyone. It's (laughs) 44,000. And so we recently, uh, uh, created a written policy that uh, for uh, defendants to come and look at it because most of the attorneys representing defendants were told there was only 14,000. Yeah. When it's actually 44,000. Wow. And so we've also expanded that to the media. The media can get access and uh, soon we'll be opening part of it up to the public. Um, little hesitation in, in, in opening all of it up to the public and it's primarily uh, to protect the privacy of some innocent people who happen to be there peacefully protesting that their face ends up on the cameras because, look, surveillance cameras at the Capitol aren't just inside the Capitol or just outside the Capitol. They're all over Capitol grounds. So right. there's people who were around by the reflecting pool, never got cut close to the Capitol, that their their image may be on a surveillance video. And the last thing you want are these insurrection hunters going out right. trying to identify them and harassing them. So, and, and Barry, um, just for our listeners that may think that you're overblowing that in any way, man, people lost their jobs. They got, they got fired for yeah. just being there that day. I mean, their lives, let alone the abuse of the FBI and DOJ and all that stuff. Uh, I, I totally hear what you're, you're saying. It, it wouldn't just be that they would have access to it and then choose to go after somebody that they weren't going to go after before. Right. It's 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 people in their own communities that will say we want you fired simply because you were in Washington D.C. Uh, as a peaceful protester that day. So I just wanted to clarify for our audience what you're saying is is a real threat. And it, it happened to one of the visitors at my office on January 5th, as you remember. The false accusation was made that I gave reconnaissance tours. That's yeah. been totally debunked. Even the Capitol Police have come out and said there was nothing to it. Um, these were just people who happened to be in D.C. They came to hear Trump speak, uh, constituents, they asked to come to my office, came to my office. We took them to lunch in the house office building cafeteria. They never got close to the Capitol on January 6th. None of them got close to the Capitol. Uh, they were there for the speech and they never came in, didn't even get close. Um, but they, the select committee still subpoenaed two of the people who visited my office because they used a debit card to buy gifts in the gift shop. That's how they found out about them. And, uh, they released their names wow. um, in the final report, and one of them was actually fired from uh, a job, even though he did nothing wrong. Yeah. He, and it's been proven he did nothing wrong, but the radical left is out to destroy anybody who right. even thinks anything kind about Donald Trump. Well, so, well, well or uh, even, even I mean, look, Barry, you, you uh, like you said, they didn't even go to the Capitol, all that kind of stuff. You're on the House Admin Committee. You and I and Barton and others, we've done how many hundreds of tours at, at the right. Capitol. Even if on January 5th you had taken them over, taken them through the rotunda, done a typical tour like we normally do, shown them the paintings, the statues, yeah. would have been nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And yet they're criminalizing that, that type of thing. 
They were, and it was just the fact that they were, they, and I, why they targeted me is, I, I believe, because I pushed back against the false, uh, the generic false ac- accusation that was made yeah. days after the attack on the Capitol by one Democrat member who wrote a letter to the Department of Justice asking them to open criminal investigations against the number of Republicans that gave reconnaissance tours. And being on House administration at the time, even in the minority, we had access to those uh, surveillance cameras, and our staff spent hours looking at surveillance cameras to uh, determine that there were no Republicans that gave any tours of the Capitol on January the 5th. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, the and of course, even if someone did, as you said, we didn't know the six was going to happen. I mean, the only way that you could... Uh, make the accusation as if somebody knew what was going to happen on the right. 6th. And they right. tried to right. do that. They edited videos. I mean, um, I've found out since from uh, some of the, the interviews that we've done with uh, some people who were on the inside of the uh, uh, January 6th Select Committee is that the investigators on the committee uh, told the committee to not make the accusation because there was zero evidence to it at all. But uh, the committee, it was just too good of a story, yeah, too good of a narrative uh, to tie Trump to it is that somehow I was involved with it. But I, Well, and I, to destroy you, Barry, I mean, let's be honest, yeah. they want to destroy a guy like you. You know, you're a nice, you're a nice guy, not a nice guy in terms of, oh, he's just going to be, be run over. You're a nice guy in terms of you're kind to people, but you're a warrior for liberty, man. I, I, I know you're willing to fight back to, to preserve liberty and you're willing to take the tough stands. You did it as a state legislator in, in Georgia. You've been doing it in D.C. for, for several, several years now. So that's why I'm glad you have this, this subcommittee because I know you'll dig deep. Got to take a quick break, folks. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Congressman Barry Loudermilk, our special guest today. You're listening to Wall Builder. Have you noticed the vacuum of leadership in America? We're looking around for leaders of principle to step up, and too often, no one is there. God is raising up a generation of young leaders with a passion for impacting the world around them. They're crying out for the mentorship and leadership training they need. Patriot Academy was created to meet that need. Patriot Academy graduates now serve in state capitals around America, in the halls of Congress, in business, in the film industry, in the pulpit, in every area of the culture. They're leading effectively and impacting the world around them. Patriot Academy is now expanding across the nation, and now's your chance to experience this life-changing week that trains champions to change the world. Visit PatriotAcademy.com for dates and locations. Our core program is still for young leaders 16 to 25 years old, but we also now have a citizen track for adults. So visit the website today to learn more. Help us fill the void of leadership in America. Join us in training champions to change the world at PatriotAcademy.com. Welcome back to Wallbuilders. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest, Barry Loudermilk, congressman from Georgia. We're talking about his work on the subcommittee that is investigating January 6th at the Capitol and, of course, the January 6th committee, literally investigating the committee that uh, was such a show trial. And um, and and it's just good to have you there, congressman, and, and, and on that committee, as we were saying right before the break. Uh, you've already found things that, that don't match the narrative. And I think the big questions that, that our audience is, is, is curious about, and, and, and a lot of Americans, you know, number one, why wasn't there more protection at the Capitol, right? Why was there not? I mean, everybody knew hundreds of thousands of people were going to be in D.C. You know, like you said, we've done a lot of these tours. I mean, normally security is a lot, a lot more tight, especially for a big crowd like that. So why wasn't there more security? Number two, why we tr- why did we treat the people that tried to burn buildings and 
and even when Trump was inaugurated in 2016, did a lot of violence. Why did we treat them so different than we're treating the J6 folks? I mean, these are the big questions. So as, as any of that started to, I know you got a lot to dig through, and so I'm not saying you got to have it all figured out tomorrow, but has any of that come to light yet? It has. Um, you know, the first thing we did is investigate and I felt a little self-serving, but Speaker McCarthy told me, he said, no, the reason I put you over this committee is you know exactly what they did to you. You know the way they operate, and that helps you dig into this. Yeah. And so the first thing he wanted me to do is dig in their false accusation to me, which we did. We found the documents. We found the subpoenas. We found uh, the productions that uh, from the people that visited my office, fully cooperated with them, provided them vast amounts of pictures and videos from their cell phones and we found out uh, through all that they knew a full month before they made the the uh, accusation there was nothing to it and so we ended up presenting that to the media and it it, it must we we must have been uh, very believable because uh, they didn't report on it and so um, <laughs> and some were surprised I'm like no we just proved to them that they were duped by the January 6th committee yeah but what that did was build credibility with what we're doing because Rick my, my I'm going after the truth I'm not out to vindicate Donald Trump. I'm not out to uh, accuse anybody. We're trying to get to the truth because we can't fix anything until we actually know what really happened. That's right. Uh, otherwise, we're going to repeat it. We we do know that there was intelligence, that there was going to be an attack on the Capitol. And I can tell you that we've seen the intelligence. It seems like every uh, executive branch agency knew of the intelligence, uh, including the Department of Defense. Um, including others, uh, the FBI, Homeland Security, and others, CIA, they knew of the threat against the Capitol. Um, that information was shared with the Capitol Police Intelligence Division. The problem is that was never passed any further. The chief of police, uh, Chief Stephen Sund, at the time, was not made aware of that intelligence. In fact, it was downplayed. Um, and the last intelligence report that was given to him and distributed to the frontline officers and their their command structure was that there is uh, it's highly unlikely that any of the protests will result in violence, which is the exact opposite of what the intelligence clearly said, hmm. um, even to the point that the Department of Defense was concerned about um, the defense of the Capitol. And the president even told uh, the Department of Defense to get the uh, National Guard ready to deploy. So everyone else took it seriously. Yeah. But for some reason, there was a failure within the Capitol Police structure. What we're looking at right now, and we were talking to people, we've had a transcribed interview with the uh, the head of the intelligence division there. She has uh, since left the Capitol Police and is now the uh, uh, director of security at UC Berkeley. So that may give you an idea of political leanings. Um <laughs> But the person who was over that intelligence division ended up being the active acting chief of police after January 6th. Really? You see, the other thing we've uncovered, not only was intelligence either suppressed or it was, uh, you know, incompetence, it wasn't passed on. There was a cover-up to cover up that intelligence. Wow. Um, Pelosi fired the chief of police on January the 7th. But she didn't even tell him. She went on the news media and said he's going to resign. That was a dumb move because you want the person who was there at least to begin the after action and do the investigation as to what happened. Yeah. But she immediately fired him, moved him out, 
And then she made the deputy chief Pittman as acting chief of police, the one who actually was over the division who failed uh, to protect the Capitol on January 6th. Rewarded so for bad behavior. Even if it was just yeah. incompetence, right? It rewards incompetence, right. let alone whether there was some conspiracy or something. Just It rewarded incompetence, yeah. Right. And, and if you look at, so as you know, I was on the baseball field in, in, in 2017 when the, the Domestic terrorists came on and started shooting at us. Uh, there were two Capitol Police officers there that day and about a dozen members of Congress. The result of that was a a huge after-action report. I mean, it's multiple chapters. It was a very thick document with two police officers involved, two Capitol Police officers, and a dozen members of Congress. It was very detailed in what happened. January 6th, that had over 1,200 Capitol Police officers involved and 535 members of Congress. Right. About a dozen pages. No way. That's it. Uh, um, I, I said that was going to be the last one, Barry, but, but one more before we, we do the close. You know, and this one probably is within y'all's jurisdiction. I have friends that, that and frankly, I, I was disappointed that Donald Trump used this language. Uh, that say Ashley Babbitt was murdered. I have always said, if there's a riot and there's an overwhelming and you're the last one between the people you're protecting and the riot, you got to shoot the first one through the door or through the window. And I hate to make it sound so trite, but she was coming through a broken window and this police officer was the last one before you guys in in, in the House chamber, not knowing whether or not y'all were even out yet. I, I can't stand it when people say she was murdered. I mean, I know she's, it's a tragedy. And I think she, her husband says, you know, she had might have had PTSD and was just trying to get away from the violence. And I know she was encouraging people not to be violent and all that. But from the police officer's perspective, she's coming through the window. I disagree with some of my friends who think this guy should be prosecuted. I, I have y'all looked at that one, or do you have an opinion on that one? We have, and uh, I meet with Ashley Babbitt's family. They're in my office quite regularly, and it was tragic. I mean, yeah. you, you lose a family member from, you know, especially in something high profile like this, it, it really weighs on you. And her mom and some uh, supporters are, are at most of our committee hearings, even if it has nothing to do with January 6th, they'll show up at, in the committee. Interesting. Um, I didn't know and, that. And we're, Yeah. And so um, we're working with them. Um, I'll tell you, there there is no evidence to support the accusation she was murdered. Yeah. Everything that you have laid out is exactly as we can see it. One of the issues, there's no official security cameras in that area because you're familiar with the Capitol. This was going into the Speaker's Lobby, which is behind the chambers. It's kind of a private area yeah. to where yeah. members, some press, with where we go to make phone calls, have brief meetings. This is kind of a private area, so there's no security cameras right there. And so no, the only video footage we have is of personal cell phones that people took videos. Yeah. And all of those yeah. show exactly what you were describing, whether she was trying to get away from others or she she was coming through a broken window. Whether or not, whether or not the officer should have pulled the trigger is a question to look at, but he was justified according to Capitol Police protocol to do what he did. Yeah. So I, that's that's where we are right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's some other things we're looking at though is that particular offer officer. What level of treatment did he receive 
from uh, Democrat leadership and Capitol Police management after that as compared to the officers who were actually injured um, in in the battle that was pursuing at the other end of the Capitol. Mm. We're looking into that. Was he given special privileges over them? Um, and so uh, we'll probably yeah. be reporting on that. Man, I, I appreciate your honesty, your transparency on, on what you can and, and just, just the hard work that you got ahead of you, brother. I, um, it's It's so important. It's a somber... Uh, difficult, difficult task that that you've been given. So thank you for being uh, not wanting in uh, in in your answering the call and uh, for being a patriot that that is uh, defending our constitution and bringing some respect back to the institution. Barry Loudermilk, Congressman from Georgia. God bless you, man. Thanks for joining me in the tavern. Thanks, Rick. I enjoyed it. Well, folks, that was Congressman Barry Loudermilk in the tavern with me. And if, if you want to see that whole interview uh and also the uh, profile and courage for that night and 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 my commentary from the tavern uh that night you can you can get all of that tomorrow night uh, on the tavern uh this is this was a sneak peek that that episode is just going to be released tomorrow night and uh, you can get that at patriotacademy.tv or over at warrior poet society if you're not familiar with them we had john lovell on oh i don't know uh, two or three months ago about his new book warrior poet way which is essentially the new generation's version of tender warrior for those of you that were a part of Promise Keepers years ago, you might remember Stu Weber and, and Steve Ferrar, those guys still doing amazing work. But this was, uh, man, that was actually 30 years ago because I gave that book to every guy in my wedding. So I, I, I love this concept of Tender Warrior, Warrior Poet. Anyway, The Tavern is a show that that they actually approached me about from Warrior Poet Society, and it, and it airs there on the Warrior Poet Society network. And then we also air it on uh, Patriot U, which is Patriot Academy's new streaming service available at patriotacademy.tv. And then as often as possible, we'll bring you bits and pieces of those interviews and, and different things we'll do at the Tavern. We'll bring them right here uh, on Wall Builders because we love sharing that with you out there as well. So thanks so much for listening today. I really appreciate all of you out there that not only listen to Wall Builders, but you're also out there being active. You're doing things. You're making a difference. You're getting educated. You're getting equipped. You're doing citizen biblical citizenship classes. You're running for the school board or you're helping other people. Be people of action. Faith without works is dead, folks. We need to occupy until he returns, and that means being good citizens, being salt and light, infusing these principles into every area of the culture. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wobblers. We stand undivided.